I grew up in Dallas, Texas, drinking sodium fluorinated water. All the scientific studies show my IQ has been reduced by at least 20 points. But the shadow of who I would have been calls out from the grave. The shadow of who you would have been calls out from the soul that is humanity. Your families are being broken up. Your children are being trained to commit suicide. Our world is in crises. Everything is parasitic. Every fulcrum, every benchmark, every root of wholesomeness is under assault because our enemy vengefully seeks to destroy all that is pure, all that is beautiful, and all that is strong. But from the grave that is humanity, I call out and I say to the elite, what a great mischief you have wrought. What a great dark wickedness you have created. You have created. You have created. This isn't a series we wanted to do, and I'm not sure it's a series we can do, or at least do right. But several weeks ago, Alex Jones became the most disastrously sued man in all of known legal history, and it became a series we had to try. How did Alex Jones go from a colorful, local public access television personality in Austin, Texas, to a man beset by monetary judgments likely to exceed one billion US dollars? You're listening to A-Lab series. My name is Tarek, and in this first installment of our Alex Jones mini-series, Andy, Charles, and I are going to start at the beginning. We hope you enjoy. All right. Okay. So before we start... I think it's useful to set a few ground rules for this one, because this one's a monster. Uh, I have not been obsessively following this. I don't know if any of you have been obsessively following this. No, no. casually. And there are a lot of people out there who are and have been obsessively following this, doing uh, very good work on this. Uh, if you want a very deep dive, you really want to eat the elephant on this one, the Knowledge Fight podcast. Been talking to those guys. Uh, been listening to a lot of that show. They've got this, they've got Alex's whole deal in obsessive detail, and in fact, have been consulting on this case with the Texas lawyers uh, mm -hmm. as well. So, I mean, there are plenty of sources out there. So, if we get a detail wrong. Uh, or uh, miss something or mischaracterize something, you're not allowed to call my job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you want a casually detailed and amusingly articulated, half-assed version, you're in the right place. There you go. 
Yeah, I would say that anyone who focuses on it more than we do, probably obsessed, a little bit fanatic, and less, you're really not taking things seriously. Uh, yeah. That's right. We're right yeah. in the right spot here. You're in the right spot. Yeah. Here. Mediocrity. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing is, we just take a poll around the room. Uh, Alex Jones, good or bad? Andy. Good. Incredibly good. Okay. Uh, Charles. Uh, bad. That's where the tension in this show is. <laughs> Okay, and I am going to fall in the in between. No, uh, seriously, <laughs> seriously, um, we are not here to make a moral statement about Alex Jones. I think that there's plenty of information out there to conclude that Alex Jones is a bad guy. Uh, bad things happening to him is funny. Uh, bad things happening to him is probably a net good for the world. And that's the official podcast position, Andy notwithstanding. Yeah. Uh, that said, <laughs> he sucks, and it's funny that all of this stuff happened. That doesn't mean we're not going to complain about some of the main events that happen here, or analyze right. them in ways that, uh, you know, might not always be one hundred percent favorable That's to right. the opposition. We're going to try to be fair and neutral as possible, except when we don't feel like it. And again, That's right. uh, if you feel that we are not being sufficiently morally correct in our views, uh, go take a fluoride tablet and fucking chill out. <laughs> Right. I mean, look, look, we're going to try to be fair and neutral about judging legal things, but uh, you can't blame us if we take a really, really cheap shot or grab the low-hanging fruit, because look, that's the easiest fruit to get to. There, there you go. Yeah. Okay, so Alex Jones, in this first episode, we're going to talk a little bit about Alex becoming Alex. And the country becoming Alex. I think if you start trying to wade through this series of snapshots of Alex, you can you can take a look at Richard Linkletter casting him in Waking Life in around 2000. Death and taxes. Don't talk about politics or religion. This is all the of enemy propaganda rolling across the picket line. Lay down, GI. Lay down, GI. We saw it all through the 20th century. And now in the 21st century, it's time to stand up and realize that we should not allow ourselves to be crammed into this rat maze. We should not submit to dehumanization. I don't know about you, but I'm concerned with what's happening in this world. I'm concerned with the structure. I'm concerned with the systems of control. Those that control my life and those that seek to control it even more. I want freedom! That's what I want, and that's what you should want! It's up to each and every one of us to turn loose of just some of the greed, the hatred, the envy, and yes, the insecurities, because that is the central mode of control. Make us feel pathetic, small, so we'll willingly give up our sovereignty, our liberty, our destiny. We have got to realize that we're being conditioned on a mass scale. Start challenging this corporate slave state. The 21st century is going to be a new century. Not the century of slavery, not the century of lies and issues with no significance, and classism and statism and all the rest of the modes of control. It's going to be the age of humankind standing up for something pure and something right. What a bunch of garbage, liberal, Democrat, conservative, Republican. It's all there to control you, two sides of the same coin. Two management teams bidding for control, the CEO job of Slavery Incorporated. The truth is out there in front of you, but they lay out this buffet of lies. I'm sick of it, and I'm not going to take a bite out of it. Do you got me? 
resistance is not futile. We're gonna win this thing. Humankind is too good. We're not a bunch of underachievers. We're gonna stand up and we're gonna be human beings. We're gonna get fired up about the real things, the things that matter. Creativity and the dynamic human spirit that refuses to submit. Well, that's it. That's all I got to say. It's in your court. And you hear a person there, it's sort of a harmless crank going on about how, you know, the, the man is uh, coming after you, you know, from all sides, Republicans, Democrats, what's the difference? I mean, it's sort of an, I don't think it's fair to call it a political crankery, but it's not, you know, the sort of wildly right-wing stuff at every given moment. Uh, I think that you might associate Alex Jones with being now. Yeah, though it's funny because it's it's like a different political context, right? Where yes. he is he is kind of an outsider and you know, he is coming at it I think from the perspective, you know, like a lot of people uh on the left point to the two parties and say that they're just the same, mm. right? Because they, you know, they have the same inclinations towards capital or whatever. And I think Alex Jones was like so far to the right <laughs> that, you know, he was like real horseshoe in that sense, where he's saying the same thing about how, you know, the two parties are the same and they're equally corrupt and the new world order is oppressing you. Right. And it it kind of decontextualized sounds almost leftist, but press on the surface at all underneath it is like something much more kind of bircher than leftist right and you know there's a there's a recent documentary that you know i think not coincidentally with some of the destruction of jones ongoing now just came out called alex's war where they really lean very hard into kooky alex early alex and kind of elite right over sandy hook alex and land us in a place where Glenn Greenwald is doing the softball Q&A of Alex at the premiere of this movie, literally saying, you know, it's just so striking how handsome you were back then. <laughs> You're so handsome. Yeah. How are you also so brave? Yeah. So, Alex, let me actually begin by asking you a little bit about that in terms of your intentions and, and the like, because I... When I remember when I watched the film, it was just so striking, this early footage of you. And I remember when the internet first discovered some of the early pictures of you from your public access days in Austin. I remember liberals being almost horrified, like with this cognitive dissonance, like we're supposed to look at him as a screaming, spitting monster. And yet these, these pictures are disturbingly handsome um, in this like very mainstream, normal way. Um, you obviously from the beginning had a kind of charisma, a natural charisma in front of the camera. That's what people even said from the first time they saw you. And so when you combine these attributes that you had when you were young, I think you clearly had you been somebody who was willing to affirm rather than question establishment pieties could have ended up as like a meteorologist on like Good Morning America or like some Anderson Cooper type. And I'm wondering if you were aware of that potential and purposely chose to reject it for a different path, this kind of path of misfits and outcasts that we're surrounded by delightfully, um, or whether it was just so natural to your personality that you never even considered trying to, to pursue that kind of mainstream acceptability. <laughs> sort of doing this thing that I think Alex himself does, talking about how, oh, you know, you were a darling of the liberals, you know, back when Bush was in charge. 
change. Uh, and now you've been tossed from polite circles, even though you haven't changed. Yeah, uh, Alex Jones, member of all polite circles. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think that that's, I don't think that that's a fair uh, assessment <laughs> of Mr. Jones's career. Point of clarification here. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but he was a handsome young man. He was. He was. Oh, but look he at the fucking look at the fucking videos. He looks great. I'm sorry. It's a bummer well, that that's the case. Yeah. But yeah, he looks great. <laughs> Glenn's not wrong there. I hate it, but facts are facts. That's relevant to where we're going next because we're going to start. I think with Alex's childhood. He grew up the son of a dentist and a homemaker. Uh, I think in Rockwall, Texas, which he describes as this fabulously wealthy uh, suburban area. Um, you know he. He he notes that he – I don't think that he is completely honest about the fact that this is a heavily Bircher, John Birch Society family, you know, not just his immediate yeah. family but his extended family in which he grew up. He talks constantly about having read None Dare Call It Conspiracy uh, by Gary Allen. He talks about how he read every book that, you know, was there, there was available to read as a child. Was yeah, a child. he was reading Shakespeare at six. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, hey, geography sounds like the kind of shit that is put out, like, on behalf of Kim Jong-un. It's also stuff that you sometimes hear from all sorts of, like, wannabe smart kids who think that other smart people will be fooled by it. Yeah. You're like, yeah, I was reading, like, full, you know, adult novels when I was, like, five years old. Like, yeah, all of us had books at home. Like, that's what, that's yeah. that's pretty normal for, like, your average, like, smart person. We're not fucking stupid. No, you weren't. No, you weren't. If you were, if you were really right. doing that, we wouldn't be having this conversation. We, we wouldn't have any time for me. It's funny too because the the lists of things that he sort of grasps at when he's going through it are really funny because it's like, yeah, I read None Dare Call Conspiracy. <laughs> right, I read yeah. I read Big New Brzezinski and the whole Encyclopedia Britannica. You know, it's it's like, <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> like? I was really into science fiction novels. You know, it's it's incredible. Dictionary it's, cover to cover. <laughs> yeah, it's like, um, it is the dumbest guy's attempt to sound like a, a child prodigy. I do believe, however. I won't read none dare call it conspiracy. I, I, I've done, I've gone to some dark places in preparation for this. Uh, I'm not going to go that far, but from what I can tell, he absolutely did read none dare call it conspiracy. Oh yeah, it's very. <laughs> I mean, the fingerprints are very recognizable. Yeah, you can't get the pages open in that version anymore, <laughs> but he definitely read it. Yeah, it, I mean, like it's the same sort of like all the information is just out there in the open. All you have to do is go to the library and sequence it correctly, and then 40 minutes of just names, you know, <laughs> the Bilderbergers, the you know, like I mean, come on. If you're not familiar with it, the basic the basic idea is that these large political movements, especially communism, um, you know, you have you have big influential figures like Lenin and Hitler, and and here's what they wanted to do: they wanted to draw up a plan to control the world. Well, if you think that that's possible, don't you think it's possible that some billionaires sitting in their sitting in their lounges could have come up with the same plan? Yeah. You believe that's possible, right? Okay, so from that premise, we can now safely infer and then just like a huge string. Yeah. Right, and then there's a Mad Libs where, <laughs> like, as the generations pass, you substitute in a different Jew. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right. Like that is Roth, what comes like next. A, you know, friendship ended with Rothschild, Soros' <laughs> new best friend. You know, we have a tremendous amount of arguing in this country between Democrats and Republicans, between liberals and conservatives, between radical leftists and radical rightists, most of whom all agree that we do have problems. They're not sure what the problems are. And a lot of people don't like to think that somebody else outside of their own group might have some valid ideas. 
your side is the good guys and the other side is the bad guys and somehow you have moral superiority and the other side is totally evil. What we are going to describe today goes across all political and ideological lines. Now what I'm going to try to do with this talk is to try to put this thing together in a sequence so that it will all make sense to you. Most of the things that I talk about are readily verifiable in any large library, but they're scattered throughout the library. What I have done is put these events in the sequence which I believe most accurately reveals their true meaning and importance in American history. You know, and it's, you know, it's also like, well, you know, that's the opposite of communism is not fascism. It's sort of anarcho-capitalism and, you know, uh, it's a, it's a wildly anti-communistic screed. So I think this kind of whitewashing that Glenn or this documentary or Alex himself might want to do, planning himself as this highly apolitical person who was thrown out of polite liberal circles when uh, when he dared challenge Barack Obama. I think there's a grain of truth there. I well, I think that's just projecting yeah. on the part of Glenn Greenwald. <laughs> but, but I do think, I, <laughs> like, like Alex, you and me are very much alike. But I do think there there is. A truth to that in that people probably found him far more palatable when he was doing his crazy sure. shtick and Bush was in office uh, later. But we'll get to that. Um, so uh, eventually Alex will leave Rockwall and he will go to Austin. Yeah, how did that happen? How did that come about? Well, what uh, there's, there's a version where hot 17-year-old Satanist cheerleaders were trying to fuck him when he was 14 and convert him. Uh, yeah. to the worship of Lucifer. Fuck, that happened to me too. When I was growing up in Rockwall, Texas, the, at that time, the richest county in Texas, a bedroom community of Dallas, and every time I thought some hot 17-year-old when I was like 13 or 14 really wanted to date me, and I'd drive out to some big old mansion of theirs, and I mean real mansions, helicopter pads, private landing fields, you name it. God Almighty, at the third or fourth time I'd been with them, they'd tell me, by the way, we worship this God and we want you to come to this event. We want you to engage in this activity because Lucifer's really God. And you know, I told people those stories when I first got on air 20 years ago and it kind of sounded a little bit hokey, but, but, but now you see it all with the mainstream media and there's a spiritual component to this. It's not a power trip. They knew interdimensionally because believe me, they weren't trying to get the average person to go do that. Everybody thought like, why are you dating the head cheerleader or the head senior when you're a freshman in high school? Well, because, you know, she was driving me out there in her $100,000 Mercedes, and that was 30-something years ago. Driving me out there in her, her, her $100,000 Mercedes, that'd be a $300,000 Maybach today, to try to get me into the cult. And then I was about 16, and got taken by a girl out to the lake and this big vineyard. It was way out in Hunt, way, way out outside Dallas. And I saw these police cars pulling up, and, People getting out and saying, we're going to have a bonfire. Alex, don't be scared. And started seeing people putting black hoods on. These weren't KKK hoods. These were black hoods. And I remember saying, oh, my God. And she's like, don't be scared. And I said, I'm not scared. I'm not part of this. And walking back on the road at about five miles later, didn't have cell phones back then. And I had like 10 miles to walk back. Police came and got me. said, boy, you've been drinking. We're taking you to jail. 
And then my family lawyer called my dad and they said, Dr. Jones, you need to leave Dallas or your son's gonna be found dead hanging in a jail cell. Do you know how much it hurts to have been ignored by the Satanist? No, I don't. I would have, no, I would I have no given idea, in Charles. in a second. There's also the version of the story where he is, uh, he's uncovered police corruption in his town. I mean, that that story, by the way, is it, like in, literally incredible. Like, I, I listened, John Ronson did a bit yeah. on This American Life. Yeah. And he says that he was at a party where cops came in, and this is a phrase he used, with bags of drugs. Yes. Yep. And were selling them to the kids at the party. And then those same cops were giving, like, a dare presentation at the assembly. Yes. Yep. And he fucking lit them up. Yeah. And Alex Jones stood up <laughs> and and chastised them for their corruption. You're the same guy selling and us his, drugs! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and his reward was to be hustled out of the room and then beaten yeah, but, by yeah. those same corrupt yep. Rockwall police officers. That's his story of why he left Rockwall. I must correct you, that is one version of him uncovering corruption and being driven out of Rockwall. Yeah, uh, there's more than that's one. There's more than started. one, but that is, that, is, that is a common one, but I think that there are many different facets. You know, I'd, I'd be there with my binoculars watching the preachers who'd be driving around in their Rolls Royces, and then I see them snorting cocaine off, the, off a hooker's breast. You know, I mean, the, the, it, there, there's, there's the, his Stories of of his of child anti Satanist detective Alex Encyclopedia Jones. Jones. Yeah. <laughs> so let me get this let wall. me get this straight. Yeah, where you guys have an issue with Alex Jones' story is you think the cops are too good to have engaged in the conduct that he accused them of. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No. Fine. No. Good. Yeah. Continue. No, I just don't believe the assembly. I am sure that they were selling drugs. At What's the party. crazy is that he's got a classmate, right, that contradicts the story and says, "I don't that that's not what happened at all." And he tells this other story. I, I gotta say, the story the classmate tells is also fucking crazy. It's cool. He fucking pile drives this guy. I mean, he's like he's like legs up, head between his legs, and then he fucking sits backwards. He pile drives him. Yeah. So in the in the reporting done by NPR and others challenging the f- official version of a- Alex's flight from Rock the Rock mainstream Rock. media yeah. version of this story. <laughs> Multiple classmates recall him as acting a psychotic kind of guy who would run around the hallways, headbutting lockers, uh, w- waving his arms around calling himself the antichrist uh you know saying he was he himself was a satanist strangely the enough. counter his, story his literal, is he's his, a bad motherfucker that's yeah, the counter yeah, right. story his his football coach said that he like saw alex jones was like dying his tongue black and rolling his eyes back yes. you know uh, as part of his antichrist shtick right right like this is like a good old boy football coach and like the 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 real capper to the ronson thing not to spoil it is that all of these people are trump voters who believe everything else alex jones yeah. <laughs> oh yeah he they just don't that they're just time. like i want to be clear about what Rockwall is like but he's right about the muslim yeah, exactly but in this telling uh, he, as andy says puts uh, a fellow student in a pile driver in geography uh, over some argument, uh, then winds up kicking the, the, the young man in the head several times. Where's Greenland now, bitch? Yeah, causing, <laughs> causing multiple head <laughs> fractures and a lengthy hospitalization. 
Yeah. Alex's dentist dad is then forced to pay uh, this classmate's hospital bills. And according to Ronson's telling, also gave uh, the kid's parents a book about why suing people is bad. <laughs> Alex's father, a dentist, offered to pay Jared's medical bills, including a $10,000 neurologist's bill. But there was a condition. Y'all just don't jump on Alex, you know, just just um, leave him alone. I'll, I'll pay all the bills, so, you know, so I just left him alone. Jared said Alex's father also gave Jared's parents a book about why it's wrong for people to sue people. I think we could get a couple copies of that book. Uh, just to keep it on hand. Yeah, uh, I'm fine with that. The, yeah. uh-huh. uh, I think that's a solid <laughs> move. Um, yeah, well, the, the A-Lab library should have that. Yeah. Later, Alex is invited to a party where this kid that he beat is at, and that kid's friends then beat Alex with the handle of a rake and other things, and Alex flees shortly thereafter moving to Austin. Now, I don't know which version is true, but I think as Andy was getting at, in either version, Alex seems like a real cool dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So we can fast forward in Austin. Uh, I think Waco at some point occurs uh, in, as he is uh, coming out of high school, which has a, a big impact on him. He eventually becomes a colorful local public access and radio broadcaster, eventually setting up an online uh, studio in, a, in one of his kids' bedrooms, I think, in his house or something. And I mean, from the very beginning, you wonder how he got popular mm. until you listen mm. to some of the early things. And he has the real skill of being able to talk a mile a minute mm-hmm. passionately and engagingly to the point where what he's saying matters less than the, just the, like it's really energetic. No, it's... there's just a real vibe to it. You know, I listen to myself and I have to cut out ums and uhs, mm-hmm. and he is just extemporaneously ripping off ten minute rants in a way that I'm just jealous of. He's really good at what he does. I mean, that's something to like. I generally don't really credit people much who can't assess a person accurately just because they don't like them and like you couldn't do what alex jones did here you couldn't do it if you're listening you couldn't do it it's a remarkable talent and he may be used for detestable purposes you may not like the guy but it's a remarkable talent but i i would draw a line between the sort of charisma of his early days and i think what he's become now as he's marinated in his own personal grievance and gotten kind of rich and weird. Uh, but yeah, in the, yeah. in the early days, I was not only struck by how absolutely enticing it was as an entertainment product, but it moved me to, I mean, I hate to say this, but it kind of moved me to a kind of nostalgia too. You know, the, it seemed like you were watching sort of a, a lost innocence of just, Oh, the CIA and the Bilderbergers and, you know, like, uh-huh. <laughs> no, totally. Back when this stuff was harmless. Well, maybe not harmless, but certainly less fraught, less perilous, less relevant, more innocent. Like there was, a, I mean, it, there was not a direct through line between the kind, his kind of psychosis and, you know, wanting to affect gun policy. Or wanting to affect election outcomes. Or, yeah, or like, or like a friendship with a sitting president of the United yeah. States. Like, there was, this is just, this is just wacko shit that, like, occasionally you might hear of if you knew some kind of wacko that would listen to this. Yeah, it's right. Though it's though the funny through line is if you think about the tension of 
20 years ago, a kind of, you know, Bircher years after the Birchers meant anything, ranting about both parties being the same from the right, and then being absolutely gifted. Trump running for president, where, like, he's literally the apotheosis of everything that, you know, the Bircher movement would have killed to have, you know, 60 years ago or whatever as their as their guy, mm. you know, like... I don't think he needed to be paid off to, you know, be a Trump guy. No. I think they really saw themselves as kindred spirits. Well, and I think, you, I think, I think you, I think there's a fair conclusion that Trump learned from him uh, in mm-hmm. the way that you could say these sorts of things in this sort of way. Uh, I don't know, and I don't know that that's true, but I do think that there's a that uh, you, you can see. Uh, a lot of you know Trump borrowing specific talking points from him, but you know I think also stylistically, just if you just keep saying things fast uh, and and in in high volume, uh, the chance that you'll get cornered on any given thing uh, is less. And I think that that sort yeah. of that sort of gallop of just you know insane points over in constant flow is among the things that I think that they share. I think the other thing they share is a is a susceptibility to flattery. Tell me about Alex being susceptible to flattery. I, I don't think I've seen it. Well, I think <laughs> he, he almost got me. So he inserts himself into these big issues, which is kind of a precursor to some of the modern internet, social media that we'll see here. But Oklahoma City, you know, Waco, he went down there to, to rebuild the church. And then when the Klan showed up uh, to do their own sort of publicity stunt down there, like got into a fight with them. Uh, 9-11 called it. He absolutely- <laughs> that fucking video is awesome. He straight up does say. Like- Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'm so glad uh, that you could join us today for this Wednesday, July 25th, 2001 broadcast. Tyranny is enveloping the globe, and the United States is a shining jewel the globalists want to bring down, and they will use terrorism as the pretext to get it done. So that's coming up in the second half of the show. Very important Information. I'm going to put the call out that you call the White House and tell them, look, we've seen the news stories that you've wanted to blow things up, that you have blown things up, and that you're saying that four million of us are going to die and we need martial law and the Associated Press. And one of your little drills you had. And that we're aware of who the terrorists are if you pull this. This can stop this Hitlerian Reichstag event. I want to put the toll-free number up for Congress. And I won't want you to believe Alex Jones. I want you to go get these news stories off my website. I want you to call these major newspapers. I want you to find out these statements were true by the White House about preparing for martial law. And I want you to let them know that if there is any terrorism, we know who to blame. The point is, if any terrorism comes, it's from this government. And if there was an outside threat like a bin Laden who was a known CIA asset in the 80s running the Mujahideen War and whose family builds all the military bases over in Saudi Arabia right now and sits on the board of Iridium Satellite, he's the boogeyman they need in this Orwellian phony system. I want the White House numbers up there now. A big part of this solution, after you research all the government terrorism and check out what I'm saying is true, call the White House and tell them, we know the government's planning terrorism. 
We know Oklahoma City and World Trade Center was terrorism. We know the Joint Chiefs of Staff wanted to blow up airliners, Baltimore Sun. If you do it, we're going to blame you because we know who's up to it. Or if you let some terrorist group do it, like the World Trade Center, we know who to blame. And you could save the planet. I'm calling it Operation Expose the Government Terrorist. And he's it's flogging it on the day of. He's like, look, we put this all recording a while ago. You can go to our website right now. I was talking about yeah. this shit three weeks ago. It's unbelievable on the one hand. But as we'll see, and this will come out in the lawsuits too, You know, if you just say everything is fake, and if you just say every, every disaster is on the horizon, eventually when a disaster shows up, you called it. I mean, okay, but he said Osama bin Laden is a CIA contact who wants to commit terrorism in the United All States, true. and we have to watch out. That's what he fucking said in like July 2001. Yeah. Nice timing. Maybe he's just maybe he's just scattershot, like you're saying. But I mean, I don't know. You don't have a fuck. I don't have a fucking recording like that. I don't want to go all conspiracy here, but to me, that proves that Alex Jones was in on it. Shit. Uh, all right. I will say that I don't think that, but if you would like Charles' contact info, Mr. Jones, <laughs> hit me up. <laughs> I am I am making a conclusion from uh, from disclosed evidence. If you need to recoup certain recent verdicts, <laughs> I have only one trillion dollar bill. <laughs> Again. Eventually, something's going to be fake, you know, like Jesse Smollett. Uh, he used the power of racism to predict that was a hoax, you know. Uh, so you can call everything a hoax. No, and it's eventually true. Something will like, be. there's the Nassim Taleb, everything's going to be a black swan. There's going to be a black swan. You're talking about it for 30 years, and then finally something happens, and you're lauded as uh, as a genius. Yeah, I mean, I, I know <clears> the principle you're talking about. Yeah. And uh, just fun fact, uh, then sep- uh, September 11th, he's broadcasting live, and he has Joe Rogan on. Um, the remarkably who- clear... And he's unrecognizable. Joe Rogan. He's like, Alex, I think it would be reckless and irresponsible to attribute the attack right Mm -hmm. now. We don't have any clear information on that. I haven't seen a single thing that properly attributes the attack. I think you have to back down off of that. Or I, I, you know, I see what you're trying to say. I, I, I see your reference with the Hitler burning the Reichstag and that's maybe what's going on so they can seize power, but you just don't have any additional evidence to, to support that fact. And I think it's just reckless to say right now, I think everybody's reeling from this and it's not appropriate. And who the fuck is this? Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Unrecognizable. Yeah, uh, Joe Rogan. It, what it's very funny to think that the outcome of that was Rogan being like, "Oh, that was a huge mistake." <laughs> <laughs> I apologize for my caution. It's interesting though because Alex is eternal. I mean, he's entirely recognizable. Same exact guy, right? Rogan yeah. so is the one who has too. changed. Rogan is the one who has traveled. So the the person who had a real anchor. That's st- <laughs> held him in place. The person with the, the courage of his one. convictions is fucking Alex. Yeah. Yeah. The guy who was right, pff, gone. He's gone. Again, following the, the sort of mythology, liberals loved him during the Bush years. They start to hate him during the Obama years. And I think that that's probably somewhat correct uh in part because you know jones was uh, on the on the vanguard of the birtherism stuff you know he uh he was uh, i think there was a, at one point he was saying obama is uh, possessed uh, and constantly covered in flies uh, as was hillary nice. that they smell bad you yeah. know and, literally uh, smell of sulfur they yeah. smell like hell 
hell itself. Yeah, I mean... I'm never a lesser of two evils person, but with Hillary, there's not even the same universe. I mean, she is an abject, psychopathic demon from hell that as soon as she gets into power is going to try to destroy the planet. I'm sure of that. And people around her say she's so dark now and so evil and so possessed that they are having nightmares. They're freaking. Folks, let me just tell you something. If the media wants to go with this, that's fine. There are dozens of videos and photos of Obama having flies land on him indoors at all times of year and he'll be next to a hundred people and no one has flies on him. Hillary reportedly, I mean, I was told people around her that they think she's demon possessed, okay? I'm just gonna go ahead and say it, okay? They said they're scared. That's why when I see her, when kids are by her, I actually get scared myself for the child. I mean, you that big rubber face and that, <sighs> I mean, this woman is dangerous, ladies and gentlemen. That's, I'm telling you, she is a demon. This is biblical. She's going to launch a nuclear war. But Hillary's into like creepy, weird, sick stuff, man. Just disgusting with flies all over, big fat, stinking. Di Imagine how bad she smells, man. I'm told her and Obama just stink, 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 stink. You can't wash that evil off, man. I'm told there's a rotten smell around Hillary. I'm not kidding. People say they say that, uh, folks. I've been told this by high up folks. They say, listen, Obama and Hillary both smell like sulfur. I never said this because the media go crazy with it. But I've I've talked to people that are in protective details. I mean, they're scared of her. And they say, listen, she's a freaking demon and she stinks. And so does Obama. And I go like, what? Sulfur. I'm going to give that one zero Pinocchio. Yeah, okay, right? It seems pretty uh, believable to me uh, as with respect to Hillary. Um but, you know, and the, all the other things you usually hear about him, you know, the government controls the weather, the water turning the frogs gay, human-fish uh, hybrids, you know, just a, just a scattershot. Facts, facts, facts. I think the, the, his, his popularity then kind of rises exponentially in this era, uh, especially with the internet. Uh, and then he... Uh, you know, I think finds, as we were talking about, a fellow traveler in Trump. I didn't actually know um, this. So I had known about Alex Jones for a long time due to previous aspects of my life where crazy people would talk. Because you're a yeah, you're a cool. No, because yeah. crazy people would talk to me because of the position that I was in, which I don't really want to discuss. But I would talk a lot to crazy people who listened to Alex Jones. And so I was sort of aware of him, I think, before m much more of the country anyway. Um, right. But... I didn't actually because of that. I mean, I knew I started seeing him more uh, after Trump was elected or when Trump was running. But I just thought, like, yeah, people are, you know, he's just gradually accreting some, you know, greater fame or whatever. I didn't realize that actually Trump was the impetus for a huge groundswell of, or you know, a, a huge wave of people learning about him and flocking to him. I didn't know yeah, that. Well, no, he did his show, right? Yeah. Like candidate Trump came on came on Alex Jones, um, and I think some other things were in play, which we'll talk about later. Uh, but uh, I think they met via Roger Stone, uh, and they both uh, I think have, as we were discussing, a lot of similarities. And I think this closeness to Trump both puts him closer to being able to affect outcomes um, and to be relevant politically. Uh, on the one hand, but also I think creates additional pressure and and spotlight on him uh, that will become uh, I think toxic to 
both him and to the nation, really. Right. And I mean, there's a real dissonance, right? Mm -hmm. When your whole life, your whole professional life has been as this outsider trying to speak truth to power, you know, and warning everyone of the conspiracy. Now your guy is the literal president. Right. Right. And you get to talk to the actual president and you're still like just babbling about shadowy figures, you know, shadowy figures called the deep state, Charles. Yeah. 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 Well, that's that's right. I think that dissonance, that cognitive dissonance sort of then creates other things like QAnon, where you then have to rectify, like, how, how is it that, you know, we're, you know, huge fans of the goddamn president of the United States, but also against the government. So, you know, we then can paint him as this, you know, the lone warrior against a, a sort of a broader shadowy, shadowy deep state. I think that's outside the, the sort of uh, remit of this particular series. Sure. But, you know, I, I do think that there's what I think, I, what, but I do think like this model that Jones sort of lands in, you know, as we come, become more internet and as we get into social media and with the rise of Trump, this kind of model of every day the news cycles out there, uh, I'm going to take it. I'm going to uh, dig into the facts myself. Uh, I'm going to you know, pull headlines out of context. I'm going to spin this in service of some broader political yeah. projects. It's sort of taken over the way that we all now interact with news and information, right? I mean, there are all kinds of clowns on Twitter uh, whose whole job is to, you know, point out the political affiliation of any anybody who commits a, an, an atrocity, uh, you know, to, to sort of try to insert, uh, you know, kind of just reckless spin into into issues, both because it's profitable for them in terms of eyeballs and then getting paid by Peter Thiel or whatever, uh, <laughs> or or because it it also kind of feeds there's a way that you kind of launder that information uh, as well. You know, we'll see this in the Fontaine case, you know, sort of from 4chan to Jack Posobiec to blah, blah, blah. And everybody's just reporting on what somebody else said, even though fundamentally, I think they're all aware of the, of the game. Um, and I think also like conspiratorial thinking, I don't know if it's on the rise necessarily, but it's more accessible, right? There's more observations to, to put it out there. And I think conspiratorial thinking, going back to old Alex, can be fun. It's fun. And I think it, it's also attractive because it, it explains ambiguities in the world. It makes you important. And I think if you're someone in Alex Jones' position, right, the, you know, Alex Perrine has written about this a lot, about how the entire conservative project is essentially like, you know, uh, a, a big grift in a way where you say the most outrageous things to the point where the only people who really listen to you are dumb enough to believe you. Mm. And then you spend the rest of your time separating them from their money. Right. <laughs> you get, you get your audience to be like this self-selected group of complete paranoiacs and then you sell them survival seeds and gold and right or you, you tell know, them all that like there's a few chemicals out there that are completely robbing you of your sexual vitality but luckily right 
No, I've that's got true. some pills that I could sell. Super male vitality, super female vitality, like and you can fight back against so you... the globalists. Yep. Spoken like a, a guy who is gorging himself on phytoestrogens. <laughs> <laughs> I do think that conspiratorial thinking is on the rise. I think it's difficult to conclude anything else uh, at the, I guess you could say, tail end of a pandemic. Who knows if that's where we're at. Um but where where people are just, uh, I mean, Matt, swat, huge swaths of the population are just, I have no faith in any of these vaccines and I will not be getting them at any time. I think that that kind of conspiratorial thinking has become endemic now. I, I mean, I think it very clearly has. And I think some of it is conspiratorial and I think some of it is just picking sides where like your role on either side of an issue just sort of forces you into kind of for social cohesion like you just have to agree with certain shibboleths and one of them is that uh the vaccines number one don't work and number two it's because the virus doesn't exist anyway (laughs) i did want to make a point about this though that i think i'm trying to find the right way to say this with with the rise of, of conspiratorial thinking it had me um probably because i'm sick with the flu just like leading into some really wild fever dreams on this concept and uh so bear with me a second in vedic literature there is this concept i think an important point that a king a ruler, a government has karmic responsibility for the land and citizens that are under its rule, his rule or stewardship. And that that king is specifically going to receive a portion of the karmic merits and demerits that those people incur. And the idea is that, you know, if the people are edified and uplifted by your rule, if they're shepherded to the greater good, then that king deserves and should receive reputational and karmic benefits accordingly. It's good for everyone to, to glorify such a, such a ruler and maybe repeat the process going forward. That's, that's this, anyway, there's this idea. And whatever you think about karma, samsara, reincarnation, any of that stuff, it at least announces a moral philosophical principle that I think is kind of undeniable, which is that leaders, rulers, governments, they, they do bear some moral responsibility for the actions, for the health, for the fate of their citizens. And where I'm going with this is that if you preside over the dis- the descent of your population into madness, to where the the ev- the relationship to evidence is relaxed to the point of irrelevance, it bears notice in an accounting of how how did that happen? And if you so so there's a few things I want to talk about with regard to our own perhaps government's role in how this has happened. You know, we have a consensus reality that's like a public good. Everybody sort of believes a lot of the same things, enough of the same things that we have a cohesiveness as a society. I think that everyone's general experience, I I may be speaking out of turn, but I think everyone's general experience is that there is a fissure developing, growing, widening, deepening every day between people about the, within this consensus reality. And that is where, that is how I'm measuring this growth in conspiratorial thinking. And so I think that if you as a government engage in like secretive, nefarious activities of the kind that our government does not even contest that it did, you know, mind control experiments, unconsented massive drugging of citizens, Tuskegee, you know, you infect people with disease and deny them treatment just to watch what what syphilis does to their brains, Uh, Abu Ghraib torture black sites, 
mass surveillance, you know, all of these things. Eventually, people's conspiracy theories end up validated. And you start to erode trust in government institutions. I think that's true when the government engages in atrocities as well. You're going to triple tap drone a wedding, you know, hit the ceremony, the cleanup, the funeral. You're going to lead the country to war against Iraq on provably false intelligence. You know, you're going to kill a million people with sanctions. You see the moral high ground. If you can't govern from a high moral consensus, then eventually your word becomes untrustworthy. And so that was the point that I wanted to make, is that some of this dissent is not just demagoguery, and is not just people getting dumber on the internet, but that the authorities that you should be able to rely on, the organs of uh, you know government that should be able to maybe set the record straight in certain ways, people have... In some cases, I'm not. I'm not trying to absolve them of, uh, of responsibility here. They are. You're stupid if you don't think that there's any reason to get vaccinated against COVID or whatever your new thing is. But people have justifiably lost some of that trust, and I think that some of that loss of trust can be tied to legit to actual things that happened in the world, conspiratorial or not. I think it's very frustrating when you are dealing with someone who talks about lizard people right and then says what about the war in iraq and you're like okay i give you that right one. yeah you know like like there is a lot where you have to concede and eventually you're like okay i see why you don't believe this thing that is very self-evidently true to me because we agree on all of these genuine atrocities that our government has done and so while i still think you're nuts and i still think that you should probably address each episode critically as it comes i get why you've given up on doing that. right if you're seeing if you're seeing you know media and uh, both political parties complicity in things that you consider abhorrent like you know mass surveillance being revealed and everyone just kind of like shuts up about it and you know papers over it and then legalizes it um and there's just like some crazy people screaming about it it may become tempting for you to listen to what else they have to say and you cannot abdicate that level of moral responsibility without affecting people's trust in you and so i don't really like when i hear people like you know michael chertoff you know scoffing and seeing being like oh you know dick cheney and being like trump is just you know such a destructive force and these people you know they have all these conspiratorial right. theories you fucking did this and i don't just mean to point to republicans but if you participated in these activities you absolutely diluted diluted that consensus reality public good that we all relied on and it was really important and it's not fucking and they, coming and back i mean look and, I mean, the Republicans specifically stoked their interest in this, you know, because it would be helpful for them to have them hate the Democrats especially. Yeah, that's true. You know, so so there are, like, you know, it, it especially gets me mad when Republicans specifically, who spent all this time, you know, calling the Clintons the Antichrist instead of a bunch of <laughs> right. you know, corrupt, instead of just a bunch of corrupt idiots— Right, actually, you know, stoking the idea that they are, in fact, the Antichrist, getting, like, really, you know, defensive about the fact that the people they were preaching it to I ended up believing it. 
Right, and then all of a sudden, you just, like, you know, Lindsey Graham steps out of line, and you do get an entire, you know, 45 days of poll threads, you know, making some pretty unsavory allegations about him on based on nothing. But, like, what did you think was going to happen? You know, the dog got off the leash. So Alex is is rising, and one of my favorite uh, Caribbean expressions is that the higher the monkey climbs, the more he exposes. Uh, And as Alex's profile rises, it becomes harder for him to fly under the radar and continue his sort of masquerade or kayfabe as just a harmless coup in part because he's being tied to political figures more closely and there's a, a feedback cycle that starts between him and the media this manifests in two ways i think he, he gets into a lot of legal hot water uh and he starts coming on the mainstream media's radar as i was saying uh, to be painted not as a as a freak necessarily, but as a genuine threat. The owner, who we'll get to in a moment, the Mr. Hamid Ulukaya, wants me to apologize for my fake news, correct everything, pay them a bunch of damages. I, I mean, okay, Muslims never raped anybody in the history of the world, and they never committed a sin or a crime, and they're perfect, and there's no rapes in Sweden, and no rapes in Germany, and no crime, and the refugees aren't bringing in TB. Oh yeah, I'm being sued for that. I have the CDC and a stack of mainstream news about TB exploding, including in the town where his factory's based, where they brought in the refugees. And he's suing me for that. I've talked to my lawyers. This is a dream. During the week of April 10th, 2017, certain statements were made on the InfoWars Twitter feed and YouTube channel regarding Shabani LLC that I now understand to be wrong. The tweets and video have now been retracted and will not be reposted. On behalf of InfoWars, I regret that we mischaracterized Shabani, its employees, and the people of Twin Falls, Idaho. So, uh, he got himself sued by yogurt, is that correct? (laughs) That is correct. (laughs) That is correct. Shabani, you know, the yogurt company, is run by uh, a Muslim immigrant, uh, I don't remember exactly where he's from, uh, but he moved here from the Middle East and he became a millionaire with his blended, uh, you know, sort of imitation, imitation Greek, Greek yogurt. yogurt, imitation Greek yogurt, uh, like really thick, whatever. And, you know, he opened a plant in Idaho and he was hiring other refugees uh, to work at the plant in Idaho and Alex Jones uh, accused him of importing like terrorists and rapists with tuberculosis, spreading disease in Idaho. And I think he implied that it was by design. Yeah, yeah. that was their intention. And sounds uh, like a well that's thought a tough out criticism. To to a millionaire. <laughs> yeah. Well, Charles, you you know very racistly did not know where Mister Hamdi <laughs> is from. <laughs> Uh, but since he's a Turk, everything he said is fine. No. <laughs> <laughs> so I no no harm, no foul. Uh, I'm not. If there's a- any Turkish babes listening, though, I definitely yeah. disavow. <laughs> you those were offended. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So got himself sued by yogurt for saying that the yogurt company was importing rapists. In the headline is Idaho yogurt maker 
caught importing migrant rapists. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this sounds like, this sounds the, like my grandma wrote this. Yeah, and discussed a case where a young girl was allegedly raped by refugees in Idaho, where a Chobani plant is located. Okay. okay, and that was all it took. He saw he saw a case. He read some 4chan thread, and then they were like, "Okay, well, it must be connected. We're good to go to accuse them." Would it yeah. surprise you to learn that Alex Jones was involved in Pizzagate? Yeah. No, no surprise. Let's go ahead and go to the report. Pizzagate is real. The question is, how real is it? What is it? Something's going on. Something's being covered up. It needs to be investigated. So just call it fake news. These are real WikiLeaks. This is real stuff going on. I want our viewers and listeners to know that we regret any negative impact our commentaries may have had on Mr. Alifanis, Comic Ping Pong, or its employees. We apologize. To the extent our commentaries could be considered as negative statements about Mr. Alifanis or Comet Ping Pong. This also ended in an on-air apology to the owner of Comet Ping Pong because Alex was very hot and heavy into the Pizzagate in the early days. Uh, and as everybody knows, that uh, conspiracy theory and uh, sprung out of, I think, the leak of certain documents from, um, what's that? John Podesta's name. Yeah, uh, John Podesta. Uh, John Podesta's emails, uh, where uh, for some reason people started thinking that when they were talking about pizza and hot dogs, uh, this was all code for uh, the different kinds of children they Have wanted. Have you to ever rape. had walnut sauce on a pizza? Either of you? I have no. Yeah, well, that's what it said in one of these emails, and they were just like, "Yeah, that, apparently that's a special at." Comic well, they were like, "Well, this has to be a code for something." If I'm guessing, first guess, walnut sauce. If it has to be a code for something, I'm gonna go ahead and guess child, child rape. Yeah. <laughs> just, well, what they say that specifically, the walnut sauce, I believe, was the adrenal gland uh, or something like that, or something from the brain of a child. Yeah. And so the walnut, because it looks like a brain. Good guess. And I uh, think it actually started as a joke. The joke was that Podesta talks about going to Comet Ping Pong for pizza a lot, and they get pizza for meetings a lot. And so they. I think it started literally as a joke that became like a real conspiracy. Uh, and then, of course, some guy who thinks that there are kids being held captive in the basement runs in with a gun and shoots at a closet door. He said, open that fucking door. I want to look open. around. The basement door. I mean, Wasn't he trying yeah. to shoot his well, there the is basement? no basement. Oh, there you go. <laughs> There's no The basement. interesting thing about that guy, the thing I've always thought was interesting was that this guy did, honestly, what you should probably do if you actually believe it, right? He showed up with a gun <laughs> and he said, wait, wait, wait. no, hang on, hang on. Listen, if you actually believed that this was happening, he shows up with a gun, he points it around and he says, show me this place. And then they show him a place and he goes, wait, there's nothing here. And they just walked outside and dropped the gun. He was like, "Yeah, my bad. I I was wrong about that." <laughs> like that's what happened. He did it. Like he did a, a very concerned and completely misguided and mentally ill, you know, investigation. But then he saw he was not correct and was like, "Oh, oh, this is totally fake." Hey, I'm sorry. I, I so you're saying you're saying he demonstrated the courage of his conviction. <laughs> you know, that's and also the ability to take in and process new information. <laughs> He solved the case. And that's, this yeah. is yeah. this is Andy writing a job reference letter. <laughs> Shut the fuck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
man. Uh, Jones also at the, somewhere in here gets divorced famously in a deposition for getting under oath uh, the grades that his children were in and uh, blaming it on eating a large chili lunch. Oh, I think it was his names. Um, I think he missed. Yeah, no, he the name. He got everything names. wrong. He couldn't. He name. didn't remember all of the names of his kids or their. Grades. That is a bummer when that. Uh, I guess happens to you. I don't know. I don't know how it's possible. I have like yeah. 700 pictures of my kids taken between 6.30 and 6.45 tonight, so I'm not really sure how <laughs> like, I could ever... I can't even. I can't forget what they were doing at that time. So I don't know how I would forget their names. Well, but did you have chili? I did not have chili. I did not have chili. Maybe that's a secret ingredient. One of the things that I thought was great about this is his attorneys in their opening statement in the divorce trial uh, called him a performance artist, right? They're like, that's just him on the air. That's, you know, and then, you know, Jones, of course, just like he did in this, you know, Sandy Hook trials, he would still do his show. And then the day of the opening statement, he's like, that's not true. Everything I say on, I believe. Sort of a terrifying statement from his wife. Uh, related to that was that she said that in person as a human being he's actually way nuttier than he is on screen on screen (laughs) she's like it's right that that's a character it's just that he's caging you know a beast there that comes out when they go off when they go off air you think you're looking at the nut job. You have no idea. Think about and, it. And I look, and it fits in with what his high school classmates said about him. The pile driver is no joke. Yeah. Well, and then kicking him, too. I mean, like The pile driver was just the opener. God right. Damn. Kicking a man when he's down, not just a metaphor. Hit him with the, hit him with the stone cold stunner later, too. Yeah. Fucked up. Uh, he got himself sued also by somebody taking on-the-spot video at the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, where Heather Heyer was uh, killed. And that's why they're freaking out, because we're getting all these lawsuits. Uh, I mean, it was up to, actually, it's 11 now, but we've gotten six dismissed. I mean, we're like grand slamming them out of the park every time, because they're crazy. And just because the Washington Post, the New York Times, and everybody misquotes what we said about this guy, uh, who did videotape the stuff and who I don't think was part of staging anything. He's a spokesperson of the Democrats. He loves Hillary. He's a leftist. He went all over TV. He was a public figure before. He's a public figure after. He's going to be all over the news channels as a cause celeb. Democratic fundraising. He writes articles for Politico. How I Became Fake News, Brennan Gilmore. So this guy goes out and writes his articles, misrepresents what I said about Charlottesville, defames me. Then Georgetown Law, as deep state as it gets, comes out, and then they have the nerve to say, we're suing you because you say I might be connected to the CIA. Are you joking? I mean, you don't think the public doesn't know what the State Department is? The State Department is the CIA. It runs it. It is the deepest state. Ridiculous. Asinine. (laughs) <laughs> it's like a joke. Uh, how dare you say I'm connected to the CIA? I just worked in clandestine offices of the State Department in Africa. Oh, oh of course. Oh, my goodness. Excuse me. Wait till we explain that to a jury if it ever gets to them. And then, then there is uh, the rules of evidence, the optional completeness. The <laughs> jury's going to have to watch whole four-hour shows for every clip you want to show them. And guess who, after they watch the broadcast, will be awake? Ha, ha, ha.
he paid out fifty thousand uh, dollars in that on that case in March 2022. Right, that guy's got to feel so. Yeah, dumb that's nuisance now. money. Yeah, he's looking at fifty grand, being like, oh. Just like, you should sue your lawyer for a malpractice. It would surprise you to hear he has some ethnic and racial discrimination <laughs> complaints yeah. from the workplace, hanging out at the EEOC. Uh, I, I don't know if it's against him personally, but InfoWars. Always search your fave bosses at the EEOC. I definitely was aware of this because we did a segment. Neither of you neither of you were on that episode, but episode 10 of Mike Dicta, we actually covered these cases um from beckford and jacobson which are like the facts are so fucking funny because like funny in the sense that they're completely insane like i listened to the segment again just to hear it and one of the things like beckford who's a black woman who sued for race and uh sex discrimination one of the people who was like constantly harassing her uh other employees led her to believe that he was the head of hr at the company so she didn't have anyone to complain to oh god so so she had no idea that was hilarious to you it was (laughs) it was it like it can't be it can't be real but yes yeah i can't be sued for finding something funny um, sued is different than okay. I'm not going to read some of these claims. You can judge me. Just, no, we don't. Let, let's 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 uh, look look them up if you'd like to see them. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I'd I'd rather not get into some of these uh, for uh, decency reasons. But suffice yeah. to say, there was some spicy language used uh, against some of these employees who filed cases. And then, more specifically, the Fontaine case, which is really kind of the first of the this class of cases that now have Alex uh, under the gun. This was filed by the Texas firm handling the other Texas Sandy Hook matters, but sprung out of the Parkland shooting case in Florida. This is one of those cases where, getting back to the conversation we were having about the internet and the way it spins and feeds these things. This is one of these uh, cases where 4chan guys are harassing some poor kid. Yeah, they got some law cow that they think they're they're going to they're going to take to the fucking woodshed yeah. here. And if you were online the night of that shooting, you may have seen postings like that. If you weren't, I'm sure you're reading it through some filter. But like basically they tagged a kid and decided that this was the shooter. And then started using his photos and sticking them uh, in relation to the story and seeding them through, like, there was this old account called Laguna Beach Antifa, which was uh, not an Antifa account. It was a far-right account, Um, but it was, like, a parody account. And then seeding these stories about, like, this is the Parkland shooter. And eventually it ends up getting, you know, trickling back to larger media sources, like, for instance, InfoWars. Right. And so at InfoWars, there's a gentleman named Kit Daniels. He's worked there for many years, as I understand it. He's, you know, uh, everybody sort of disavows having a real title, but he's got some lofty sounding title. But basically, he's a guy who puts articles together for Alex uh, with special attention on the headlines. Oftentimes, the headlines are fed directly to him by Alex. 
and then those articles get printed out and put into the new uh infowars uh cycle where alex can just hold the paper and say look folks we got this headline here this is uh parkland shooter blah, blah, you know and and that's how they sort of justify their own uh, on-air narrative as well as is writing a lot of this web content and I will say, like, they didn't have a lot to work with in conspiracizing this because everyone knew who did it immediately, right? Like, everyone knew. Like, Nicholas Cruz, I think, was caught at the scene. That is yeah. a bummer for your fake But story. there weren't any photos of him, which is why, like, they, well, no. like, for, right, 4chan had been memeing this other guy for a couple of days he was wearing a shirt with like lennon and che and i don't know maybe they were in like you know party hats lennon had a, had a lampshade on its head yeah so it said communist party some stupid like that and so they'd been making fun of this photo for like four days when just as a coincidence the parkland shooting happened Happens. in the middle of yeah. it so in the same way that like every mass killer they're like look at Sam Hyde, 4chan was like, it's this guy who we've been making fun of for four days. And yeah. that's what trickled up is they used this kid's picture and said he's Nicholas Cruz. Right. Well, I, I want to correct one thing. They had Cruz's Instagram account, but there was no face pictures because right. he was masked all the time. Uh, and then they had, they had this completely unrelated picture of Mr. Fontaine. So the headline that gets run, I'm not going to remember it exactly, but it's like uh, Parkland shooter uh, supports ISIS is a communist. And directly under that is the picture of Fontaine. So there's a deposition of Kit Daniels and they're asking him how he came to these conclusions. First of all, uh, this deposition is pretty uh, interesting. Yeah, of the titles he has <laughs> at Infowars, I would bet not not getting deposed again is one of them yeah <laughs> yeah he did not become the 30b6 no witness. fucking never again <laughs> although have you seen the 30b6 witness no, because those, the, uh, those are you're gonna you're gonna love oh my those. god i can't wait kit daniels is one of the few sort of human beings that i've seen i've watched all the depositions now he's the only human being i've seen get deposed and it's in part because he is strangely for an InfoWars guy whose whole job is to take 4chan posts and turn them into headlines like Parkland Shooter supports ISIS as a communist. Strangely guileless, you know, easily led down roads in the deposition, um, clearly unprepared, uh, kind of stupid. Yeah, um, uh, kind of is an interesting modifier to use there. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what a conspiracy theory is? It's a theory that people are conspiring to do something. Right. Um, do conspiracy theories happen all the time? I mean, let's say you have two, three people that are conspiring to rob a bank, and the detective ahead of time thinks that's going to be the case because he sees these guys casing a bank a week before they bust the bank. So the police officer would be a conspiracy theorist? I mean, in the broadest sense of the term. I'm asking what your understanding of the term is. Don't, don't give me the broadest sense. Give me what you believe. I believe the term means that you have a theory as far as more than two individuals conspiring to do something. So conspiracy theory to you means the legal sense of the term and nothing more. Oh, I'm not a lawyer, unfortunately. Okay. He makes $90,000 a year. Fuck yeah. Too, if you're I... listening to this and you make less than that, look this deposition <laughs> yeah. up. I don't want you to spend a fucking hour watching this shit. 
<laughs> I want to pull two facts out of the deposition. The reason that Parkland Shooter is a communist is because, as noted, he, the kid that, that was misidentified, Fontaine, was wearing a parody shirt with um, Lennon in a lampshade having a party. And then the reason that the Parkland Shooter supports ISIS is because on Nicholas Cruz's real Instagram account, he has a picture of him, you know, like with a mask, holding a knife. And he says, uh, now I know why sand durkas say Allah Akbar. Um, cool. So Daniels sees the words Allahu Akbar and says, well, that's something ISIS says. Bam. And like, <laughs> and like <laughs> there's a solid 20 minutes of this deposition that is just devoted to interrogating. Like, do you understand that that's something like Muslims say all the time? Do you understand? Like, do you understand? I, well, I'm not familiar with the Muslim ideology, you know? Like, I mean, it just... I'm not from ISISTAN, okay? Yeah, I, I genuinely believe him when he says he saw a guy making a racist comment about Arabs and concluded he was an ISIS supporter simply because <laughs> by virtue of the words Allahu Akbar being there. Uh, but yeah. the deposition is is interesting in many other ways as well. It was breaking news in the sense that the shooting had happened within the last few hours and you needed a story that no one else was writing about, so you pretty much fabricated one. I didn't fabricate it. Not on purpose, but you definitely fabricated one. Sitting here today, we can agree, right? Not on purpose. Regardless, on purpose or just pure ignorance, it happened, true? I would say so. Do you believe you're a victim of some internet trolls that just got the best of you because you weren't paying attention? I think I was duped, definitely. I think you were too. Is it common for employees of free speech systems to get duped on the internet? I can't speak for everybody. I mean, I'm sure it happens every now and then. It's happened to you before? Well, it happened in this instance. Has it happened other than that? I don't remember. I, we'll get to that. Especially if you could have done a reverse image search before spreading his photograph all over the nation, alleging him to be a mass shooter. Right? Right? I don't... Uh, it's kind of a leading question, though. It is. That's what cross-examination's for. That's what this is. Okay. Correct? What was the question again? It's not... It wasn't hard. You could have done it and found out that that photo is four days old and the shooting was day of. Mm. So it was... He couldn't have been the shooter. That From that photo, it wasn't a commie. They'd been trolling him forever. I get you. That wouldn't have been hard, would it? No. But you didn't do that. I don't remember doing it. Because if you if you would have done it, you wouldn't have ran his photo, correct? That's a that's a very good possibility. I mean, one of them being that he openly admits fault. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Over He's and like, over. we definitely misidentified him, and we absolutely shouldn't have done it, and I understand if you hold us responsible Yeah, and I, I intend it. to hold us responsible, <laughs> and I wish he was right here right now so I could apologize to him. Like, I would say... This is not how to prepare your witnesses. If you are a budding attorney, <laughs> these are a bunch of things you don't want to say. And leading up to the the ultimate thing that you don't want them to do, which is cry in the middle of the deposition yeah. about right. how right. much pain you caused the plaintiff. What do this? This is a thing that actually fucking happens. Are you aware that Mr. Fontaine suffers from any mental health diseases? No. Would that affect the way you feel about him if he did? Yeah, it was, I've felt the same way at times. I'm going to represent to you that Mr. Fontaine has been clinically diagnosed with being on the autism spectrum mm. and has been for a while. Mm. 
He doesn't like, he's socially not very developed as you are today speaking to the jury. Wow. And has dealt with mental health issues both before and continues. Now, remember how you said you felt whenever you got death threats, right? Yes. Now, I want you to imagine, and, and you do not have any sort of mental health diseases that you know of, correct? No, I've suffered from depression. Okay, have you suffered from autism, social anxiety? Um, do you have an inability to uh, work in large groups of people and deal with a lot, a lot of people in person? I do. Okay. And you can sympathize a little bit more with Mr. Fontaine for what yes. he went through. And I understand you're upset. And I'm not trying I'm to... I'm not upset. It's just... <laughs> Take your time. I can understand the suffering he's been through. Take your time. It, I understand you're upset. If you want to take a few yeah. seconds, we, let, let's take, yeah, let's take a break and get him some tissues. We're gonna go off the record, Madam Reporter. Should you take the stand, and you see Mr. Fontaine sitting in the room with you, mm -hmm. if you could say anything to him, what would you say to him? I regret that this happened. Why? Because I've been through the same thing with the death threats and the harassment campaigns, and I can definitely understand. And I don't, I just don't see the purpose of why these people are attacking him. I mean, if they disagree with him politically, it's like, what's the purpose? What does this serve? And practice point, that's not good. As you know <laughs> yeah. about that. Well, I think practice point, you know, you, you, there are things that you're going to do in a deposition um, when preparing for it. You're going to tell the witness, you know, answer the questions as briefly as possible. Mm -hmm. Yes, no, I don't know. You're going to tell the witness not to bring documents into the deposition, like their calendar. <laughs> and now, to your litany of standard preparation points, please add, if you are going to cry, don't do it when describing how you think the plaintiff in the case feels about the damage that you've caused him. Oh my God. Uh, I think that is the possibly the worst time to cry if in fact you're gonna cry. So throw that on your deposition prep outlines because I didn't know that was possible. The media picked up on that and ran with it. Uh, I felt bad for the guy, honestly. If you're coming to the law for something other than a big check for what's happened and you wanna see some genuine contrition or someone genuinely grapple with harm that was caused to you. You're not going to get it out of this case much. You're certainly not going to get it out of Alex. I do believe in that moment that Kit Daniels was at least scared. Yeah. Yeah. And remorseful. And you don't see that a lot. One thing you will not see if you watch any of all of this deposition is the defense counsel doing a goddamn thing. Right. Like <laughs> I watched a ton of it and I never even heard the voice. Tarek said there is a voice on there somewhere, but I never heard a single objection. It fucking blows my mind. Well, but you see again, when when we get deeper into this cuz I've watched them, all of these now. There's a there's the part where they object to every question when Robert Barnes is involved and we'll get into that in a couple of episodes. Uh this woman I I don't know who she is but uh, appears to be the white flag. 
You know, I mean, like this is just there, there's this total surrender at this point. They've already lost on the default by the time this deposition runs around. So this is all about damages phase of the trial, uh, and she does not appear to be uh, actively stopping him from talking about things that counsel did. Or there appears to be a different tack from Robert Barnes saying objection to form every question. The defense counsel was so passive that the plaintiff's counsel was almost getting like abusive. Like he was really feeling his oats and really and really challenging him and asking him questions that were functionally legal conclusions to a guy who can't really give legal conclusions. Like, you can't even hold him to it if he answers the question, and there's no attorney going objection calls for a legal conclusion, which is like the easiest objection in deposition history. There's times where, like, the guy's, like, ranting at him, says a whole bunch of stuff, and then says... You know, something like, you know, so what do you think? And, like, there's no objection to even, like, a big form objection. Like, maybe string a question out of that. There's times where it's been asked and answered, but the guy just, he knows he can keep dipping to get a better answer. So he just keeps going back in and digging in. And all the, and there's no attorney there defending the witness. So the witness is just like, yeah, I guess I do feel bad. No, I feel really bad. Okay, I'll cry now. And, uh... <laughs> Like, there's just no one there to defend. The guy's counting out money on the table. <laughs> Some context, that is the, that is the I believe, the junior lawyer to the lead partner, Mark Bankson, who had the whole viral moment with the phone and all that stuff. I understand that he is probably the slightly more aggressive one of the two in questioning. Number, so I think that's kind of his M.O., um, mm. I also will say, in fairness to them, these guys have been giving them such a fucking runaround. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to <laughs> say that what they did was evil or something. There was an attorney right. in the room; you were represented. I, I have a problem with the defense counsel. With the other attorney, listen, I've never been in that position. Were I to be gifted a position where defense, where, where the, the you know the other side's counsel just is just served cowed, up a meatball? Oh yeah, I don't know. I think I probably would start getting a little experimental. <laughs> yeah, you're asking questions and you catch defense counsel playing Candy Crush, all bets are off. Uh, So we said that Alex's rise occasioned two complimentary points of trouble for him, one being the litigation uh, parade that we've just discussed and will be discussing, and the other being, I think, additional focus on him in the media. And I think given his increasing closeness to Trump, um, the media critiques of him, you know, begin to pivot uh, from not just Daily Show uh, or Conan O'Brien mocking his appearance on Piers Morgan, where he's going, I'm going to 1776 you, you know, like screaming at Piers Morgan. And it's funny to uh, understanding him and framing him, more importantly, as a dangerous force uh, in politics. I think that is in part because the Trump rise sort of required you to lay at Trump's feet outrageous and it was very easy to tie alex to trump given as we said their increasing closeness 
And it became, I think, imperative to use Alex as a cudgel by which to beat Trump more broadly, in addition to, just as they were doing with Trump, really reveling in the spectacle of Trump's nonsense and really, therefore, reveling in the spectacle of Jones. I mean, there's a cynicism in the mainstream media that's operating here that Alex, I think, will seize on in the defenses of these cases and elsewhere uh, that, well, the media's have to give me Hillary, blah, blah, blah. But there is a truth to that. You know, I think that and the media does bear some responsibility for putting the spotlight on him for both cynical reasons of clicks and outrage, but also as a as a sort of poster child for the excesses of Trumpism. Though I will say, just sort of in their defense, you can't completely ignore him. He was no. getting bigger on his own. Right. You know, and so like all of these things dovetail, right? There are genuine and cynical reasons why you have that, to absolutely. cover Alex Jones, you know? And like I think it's I think it's important when pointing out the cynical stuff to also just say, look, he did have like a massive audience of gibbering morons mm -hmm. going out and threatening people on his behalf yes. and he wasn't some benign actor who is like all of the people who Jones blames for stuff right and the other piece and this this is like you know, you recall uh, and we'll discuss later uh, in other another episodes of this series um he sought to depose Hillary Clinton uh, in the Connecticut case, which was part of oh, the yeah. theater and spectacle there. But there is some truth as well to the fact that Hillary, I think it's widely acknowledged, wanted to run against Trump because she thought that she could paint him as a dangerous ex extremist, that he would be roundly rejected and that she would look great by comparison. And I think uh, Boy, she that's did a rude awakening. Yeah, and then she did. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna. She... I was gonna say when you guys were talking about cynical and, and genuine critiques that, like, well, regardless of that stuff, to the extent they thought this was a fucking good idea, sorry. Yeah. It's also what happens when you listen to the radio host Alex Jones, who claims that 9/11 and the Oklahoma City bombings were inside jobs. He even said, and this really just is so disgusting, he even said the victims of the Sandy Hook massacre were child actors and no one was actually killed there. I don't know what happens in somebody's mind or how dark their heart must be to say things like that. Whatever the case, whether it was a Hillary conspiracy with the mainstream media to attack Alex or, or whatever, in all of the litany of evils that you can, whether genuinely or opportunistically, lay at Alex's feet, uh, the most compelling example of him being a shitbag, if you want to use it or if you just want to think about it, has been his reporting over the years on the events of December 14th, 2012. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Friday. Thank you so much for joining us the 14th day of December 2012. And there is a reported school shooting uh, in Connecticut, one of the uh, states that has draconian restrictions on gun ownership. Uh, reportedly uh, right now, it looks like only the uh, gunman is dead, but the media will hype the living daylights out of this. So anytime somebody goes crazy, 
the first thing pops in their head is go to a victim disarmament zone, a free fire zone where it's guaranteed no one is armed to protect themselves. If you went and randomly went in people's houses in Texas, more than 70% of people statistically own guns in the state, about 60% nationwide. And, uh, you know, if you just randomly went and kicked in doors and tried to, you know, shoot people, you'd get shot in most homes. Uh, but, but government training camps, you can bet nobody is going to be armed there unless there happens to be a police officer out in the parking lot. So we'll be looking at that. Uh, also, uh, obviously, the big news. And uh, Kurt Nemo has a story uh, from our source, Jim Tucker, up at Infowars.com. Trilateralists discuss big war.